You're listening to the Let's Talk Strata podcast hosted by Mark Mercier. Whether you're a tenant, lot owner, caretaker or industry professional, this podcast is for anyone connected with a body corporate or strata title. Tune in every fortnight to hear thought-provoking discussions with industry leaders and experts on topics both practical and technical that will spark your interest. Welcome again to the Let's Talk Strata podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you cutting-edge views from pinnacle industry experts on all things strata in Queensland. Today, our special guest is Lynn Smith. Lynn is a Senior Community Education Officer at the Residential Tenancies Authority, or the RTA, in Queensland. Now, just a little bit about Lynn. Lynn is a Senior Officer at the RTA, and her role evolves and involves raising awareness of the RTA services' rights, responsibilities, and that includes that of tenants, landlords and agents, provides information and education on the Residential Tenancies and Rooming Accommodation Act. 2008. Lynn has worked at the RTA for over 13 years, including five years as a senior conciliator in the RTA's dispute resolution service. Then she joined the communication and education team. Lynn has delivered presentations and webinars across Queensland to diverse audiences, including landlords, agents, tenants, and other community stakeholder groups. Prior to joining the RTA, Lynn worked in the private rental sector for over 20 years in New South Wales and Queensland. So Lynn has quite an extensive uh, amount of experience in the rental market, over 30 years in fact with tenancy laws, and Lynn shares her experiences and practical knowledge with industry stakeholders and clients. Welcome Lynn, it's a great pleasure to have you on board for the podcast today. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Now, what uh, does your section uh, particularly involve when it comes to delivering education on strata laws, tenancy laws, and anything housing for that matter? Okay. So our communication and education team at the RTA provides a variety of different channels for education. Um, We have a fantastic website with a lot of tenancy information available for everybody involved in a tenancy. We also do webinars and videos, so we're actually increasing our digital footprint as such and increasing those educational material. Um, We also do various events, as I said before, like seminars and forums and so forth. And I suppose we're here to make sure that the whole um, renting sector across Queensland um, is informed about their rights and responsibilities. And it's such a big market, isn't it? Uh, The rental sector in Queensland is huge and no doubt uh, fraught with a lot of challenges, isn't it? Absolutely. You've got over a third of properties across Queensland are rental properties. So the Mm. RTA is kept fairly busy Mm. dealing with the tenants and the landlords and the agents in the rental sector. And it's a very diverse rental market, not only in terms of the properties, but also the, the people, the occupiers, the stakeholders. Yes, that's right. And we also do with like the body corporate side of things, we deal with other government bodies. So we are quite often liaising with the body corporate commissioner's office, yeah. um, with the real estate side of it as well. We also have a um, connection with the Office of Fair Trading. In terms of the website and materials, we'll have that Let's Talk Strata podcast website. So we'll have that all for all the uh, listeners to, to tap into. In terms of the Dispute Resolution Service, you've worked in that uh, sector and we've worked together, in fact, and uh, remember the good old days there. Tell me a little bit about how Dispute Resolution Service manages really a pool of over 50,000 bodies corporates in Queensland. There's going to be a lot of rentals out there. Sure. Our dispute resolution service is a free service and it's an avenue available for people involved in a tenancy um, that they can resolve their matter without a formal tribunal process. Last financial year we received over 28,000 dispute resolution um, requests Mm. and it's from landlords and agents and tenants. About half of those disputes that we receive are actually bond-related matters. So someone has claimed the bond and the other person is actually disputing that claim. Mm -hmm. So it'll actually come through our dispute resolution service for a result. We also deal with tenancy matters. So some of these tenancy matters may actually um, be in houses or units. So it may actually also involve the body corporate side. But a lot of the issues that we're receiving in our dispute resolution area are about repairs and maintenance not being done or delays, mm. the process about ending a tenancy, water charging, disputes about entry, um, so mainly about those sort of issues that come up during a tenancy. Mm. So I guess you're dealing with property managers, 
rental agents, and that will invariably include caretakers, own it, because they're letting those properties out and they're managing matters on behalf of their lessors, aren't they? Yes, so I suppose from a manager's point of view, they're managing on behalf of their landlord client, mm. and those managers can be real estate agents, mm. they can be property managers within those real estate agencies, I suppose, and also to the on-site manager. So on-site. rather than actually using the word caretaker, we probably would use the word on-site manager for mm. our sector. Right, right. So in relation to the RTA, what are the key functions and roles that it plays in regards to tenancies in Queensland? Well, the RTA is there as a Queensland Government Statutory Authority and our core function is to administer the tenancy rules for Queensland and that is the Residential Tenancies and Rooming Accommodation Act 2008. Mm -hmm. We provide impartial and free tenancy information to everybody that's involved in the rental sector. Um, We also have bond management, so if if you do take a bond, there are laws in relation to the maximum amount and that you do have to lodge that with the RTA. And the RTA holds around 607,000 bonds across Queensland. We offer a free dispute resolution service for parties when in a tenancy where they're unable to resolve a matter. And we also investigate breaches into the penalty provisions of the legislation. Our education, we do this through a variety of different channels, and that's like our publications, um, forms and fact sheets, and we have a very comprehensive website with a lot of information on there. We do presentations at various events and forums and seminars, and we also do the videos and the webinars as well. And we'll discuss some of those particular aspects of the RTA's role throughout the uh, interview today. In terms of your role in education, what uh, stakeholders does the RTA work with in Queensland? We do a lot of collaboration with our stakeholders and our stakeholder groups include like the Real Estate Institute of Queensland, Tenants Queensland, um, Arama, so Arama obviously dealing with the mm. management rights, Q Shelter, the Property Owners Association, and also to Caravan in Queensland. So the RTA does also look after movable dwelling tenancies as well. Perfect. So mm. with over a third of Queenslanders renting, it's really important that we also work with our stakeholders to get key messages out there, and also to it does keep the RTA fairly busy. We have a vision um, that is making renting work for everybody and people can contact the RTA on 1300 366 311 or our website, as I said, a lot of information at rta.qld.gov.au. What do you notice, if anything, in terms of a difference between a non-body corporate or strata rental and a strata rental? Is there any difference at all practically from your office, from your experience? Possibly not, because the rights and responsibilities are outlined in the legislation Mm. for everyone that's involved. So it's sort of whether they're renting the houses or the units, whether there's a body corporate or there's, you know, no body corporate. Mm. Um, The rules are still the same. I suppose the difference will be is if there's body corporate bylaws. Right. And those body corporate bylaws will form part of a tenancy agreement. So when a tenant signs a tenancy agreement, they're Mm. to be given a copy of the correct body corporate bylaws. So that's under the community titles scheme. So it's really important so before a tenant is actually committed into a tenancy they should actually be given a copy of the proposed tenancy agreement and that's an opportunity then for the tenant to read that agreement see what the terms are and also to an opportunity to see about the body corporate bylaws and see whether what the rules are in relation to living in this particular complex. And I guess that's going to touch upon a lot of things like pets and how uh, some of those rules mesh in with the lifestyles of those particular occupants. But let's turn back now back to the process of dispute resolution because if there's ever a dispute in a a strata titled unit, then those occupants are going to come to the RTA, aren't they? I suppose if there's a dispute in a body corporate situation, there's probably two avenues. Obviously, the Body Corporate Commissioner's Office has their dispute resolution and adjudication side of things, and a tenant being an occupier can actually go through that channel. However, if there's like a breach of the Body Corporate Bylaws or a dispute, um, and it's part of a tenancy, so we're only going to be able to deal with the property manager on behalf of the landlord or the landlord and the tenant. So they can actually come through our dispute resolution service and we'll try and help resolve that. So if it's been a breach of a ten- of a bylaw that forms part of that tenancy agreement, then the RTA can also assist. Right, so, so there's options for a tenant. What would their first port of call be then if they were going to go through the RTA pathway? We've discussed the body corporate pathway um, 
with the Body Corporate Commissioner. We've had a few prominent lawyers come and discuss that process. But if you're going to go through the RTA pathway, what do they need to do? Okay, either party in a tenancy, whether that's the manager or the landlord in a tenant or a tenant, can actually issue what we call a, a notice to remedy breach. So if there's been a breach of the tenancy agreement, and as I said before, the bylaws forms part of that tenancy agreement, then what they can do is issue the breach notice. So to give you an example, from the tenant point of view, it may be that there's maintenance that hasn't occurred or there's been delays. So they may actually issue their property owner or the property manager with a breach notice. If it's from the tenant side that they've breached the bylaws, and you mentioned before about like pets and things mm. like that. So if they've breached their tenancy agreement and the bylaws, then the property owner or the manager can actually issue a breach notice to the tenant. Mm. There is a minimum time frame, so it's usually seven days to rectify that breach. And if the breach isn't rectified, then the property manager or owner or the tenant may be in a position to issue a notice to leave, or they could apply to our RTA's free dispute resolution service for assistance. And just to get a bit of handle on the forms. Notice to remedy breach is a form 11. Form 11. Yeah. A notice to leave would be a form 12, and that would be from the mm -hmm. managers or the owners to mm -hmm. the tenant. A notice of intention to leave would be a form 13, and that's where from the tenant to the manager or the owner. Okay, so once those forms have been issued by the landlord or tenant and they can't quite get resolution on those matters, it really comes down to a Form 16 dispute resolution request, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So the RTA has all our forms available on our website. Mm -hmm. A Form 16 dispute resolution request form can be issued by the tenant or by right. the landlord or the agent and comes to the RTA directly. Mm. With that, what we're looking for is some a, an outline of what the dispute might be about. Mm. The RTA is not probably looking for like the War and Peace novel attachment that's like two inches thick of attachments mm. and things like that. We're just looking for an outline of what the problem is, what steps have been taken to try and resolve that. The RTA is very much pushing that, you know, you try and resolve these matters yourselves and that's self-resolution. So the really good skills of actually communicating respectfully with each other and try and resolve it first. And if you aren't able to do that, then come through to the RTA's free dispute mm. service. Do you recommend that parties attach documentation to that Form 16 or is it not necessary? Uh, look, it's not necessarily but that they need to do that. But obviously, if it's important to show a bit more information as part mm. of their dispute, we are actually encouraging people to share that documentation across e to each other mm. um, as part of that self-resolution. So when it comes into the RTA, we have like an intake methodology. Mm. So what we're going to do first is to try and assess that file. So when the RTA form comes in, mm. the form 16, we are going to, um, we have like an intake methodology process. So we're going to assess that file. So we're looking at what is the dispute about? Is it suitable? It doesn't mm. fall into our category to start with. So, for an example, if it's like a neighbourhood dispute, that's the RTA can't so handle those. So, is it the jurisdiction of the RTA legislation? Yeah, yeah. So, we want to make sure that we can cover the dispute that's been lodged. And what we'll do as part of that intake is that we'll assess the suitability for a conciliation, mm. the willingness of parties whether they'll participate in a telephone conference with us. We're encouraging people to share that information. So, if people have information like photographs or um, other documentation that they want to bring to a dispute, we'll be encouraging them to share that information or mm. invoices and things like that across to each other. Mm. But we're going to assess to see whether there's any negotiability as well with the um, tenants and the landlord and agent. Mm. If it is suitable, it'll then progress to a, th a three-way telephone conference. And that's where we have the conciliator on the phone, we have the um, tenant and the landlord or the manager on the phone at the same time and we're going to try and actually resolve that matter. Our conciliators are impartial so they're not there to take sides nor make any decisions. It is a confidential process so if the matter's not resolved and it proceeds off to the tribunal then anything that's said in the conciliation process is not admissible if it goes further. And you say if it goes further, we're talking QCAT, aren't we? We are. So yeah. um, if the matter's not resolved with the RTA, then the RTA will issue the person a notice of unresolved dispute and that gives the person the pathway to go off to the Queensland Civil and Administrative Tribunal. Mm. There are timeframes um, in relation to applying, and particularly with bond matters, mm. they're very time sensitive and actually going from us to, off, um, to QCAT. 
Right. And what kind of interaction do you have with on-site managers throughout that dispute resolution process? Do they ever get involved? Absolutely. If they are partied as a manager, so they've been appointed um, obviously as their role of caretaker for the complex, but they also have a, um, a rent role or a um, management rights as part of the complex, then they will obviously, on behalf of their landlord client, would be representing them and coming through our dispute process. Right. So in this three-way discussion, you might have the on-site manager, the tenant and the conciliator. Correct. In terms of... Um, what can people expect? Now you've said, you've given a, a bit of an outline on the dispute resolution process, but what can someone expect when they're actually in the conciliation itself? They'll be speaking with a conciliator. How does that look from a participant's perspective? Sure. Look, the RTA has a very good resolution rate. So we resolve over three quarters of the disputes where parties will participate with us. Mm. So it's a very good resolution rate and we are encouraging people to participate with us. It is a voluntary role, so we will do whatever we can to try and encourage them to actually come through. The conciliator there is to provide a safe environment so people can have their say and share their tenancy concerns. The conciliator is going to try and facilitate that process. They're going to try and find common ground and try and deal with the emotions. It is a cost-effective process, so you know, come through us to try and resolve that matter rather than going you know, off to the tribunal. The RTA cannot give legal advice, so whether from our call centre or from our dispute resolution area, that's not what the role is. And the parties in the dispute actually own the dispute. So we are going to encourage, we're going to share the legislation, we're going to try and make sure that they can try and come to a resolution. Sometimes the disputes that we receive are not necessarily about money. So sometimes it's actually about maintaining or sustaining a relationship moving forward that they know what boundaries they have in relation to communicating with each other. So for a lot owner in a body corporate or a tenant in one of those units, do you have any tips that you might bring to a participant coming into dispute resolution? What should they do to prepare themselves for that? I suppose the first thing we would do is try and look at what steps you've taken to try and resolve the matter yourself first. Mm. You know, like that communication is key and I say that a lot in a lot of seminars and things mm. that I present at. It's so important that you communicate with each other and share that information across to the two people that's involved in that dispute. Mm. Being prepared for the conciliation, the intake officer will actually step through some processes with the person um, when it, before it does proceed to the um, three-way telephone conference. But just being prepared to, with your own information what are the actual issues? So we want to sort of like, you know, maybe encourage people to jot down a few points about what are the actual issues about. So it may not necessarily even be about the bond, it may be about other issues that's happened during the tenancy and having to think about what is the desired outcome that you're looking for, what can you live with. So if somehow or other you need to be looking at negotiating this that you, you know, don't want to be going off to the tribunal, what is the outcome that you can actually live with? And there's no cost to participating in conciliation, is there? No. The RTA's uh, dispute resolution service is a free service. Mm. And as I said, it's available for everybody that's involved in the tenancy agreement part. So mm. again, landlords, um, real estate agents, property managers, on-site managers and tenants. And communicating is a big thing, but it can be very difficult when the parties are very emotional about a matter. Absolutely. And look, a lot of times we hear people say, you know, it's the principle of the matter and there's a lot of emotion and things like mm. that. And I suppose at the end of the day, if, pro if it does proceed off to the tribunal, the tribunal is going to look very much on the facts and the evidence and yeah. things like that. So it's probably bringing that to the dispute as well and going, okay, try and park those emotions if you can. It is a very distressful situation mm. for a lot of people, but try and park those emotions and just look at the facts. Yeah, and when you hear those words, it's the principle, it's very subjective, isn't it? Uh, and very emotive and often perhaps doesn't quite help the situation, but I think it's the role of the conciliator to try and ensure that the party's been heard to provide some guidance on the legislation. Yes, absolutely, Mark. So the conciliator there will actually let both parties know what the legislation is so that if... So to give you an example, um, as I said, over um, half of our disputes that we receive are bond-related matters. Mm. So a lot of it is about the condition of the property at the end of the tenancy. So we're looking at... 
you know, what was the entry condition report about, what did it state the condition was at the start, the exit report at the end, what are the photos, what's the evidence and things like that. And our legislation's very clear. The tenant is to return the property in the same condition it was at the start of the tenancy, less fair wear and tear. And that kind of dovetail with the lot owner's responsibility to maintain their lot, which by implication means the occupant has a parallel responsibility to ensure that the lot is maintained. But there is a fair wear and tear component to that. Yes. How do you reconcile the fair wear and tear as opposed to actual maintenance? Very great question, Mark. The lessor in our legislation or the property owner as such has an obligation to ensure that the property is clean, fit, and ready for the tenant to be living in at the start of the tenancy and not be in any breach of any legislation for health and safety. But they also are to maintain the property. So maintaining the property is your general maintenance and repairs. And again, at the end of the tenancy, the tenant then has that obligation to make sure that they haven't actually caused damage in the property. So that fair wear and tear sometimes is a bit of a grey area yeah. and some people have different interpretations of that as such but I suppose at the end of the day the role in the conciliation part is to obviously expand on those legislation and what evidence is actually brought forward because if it's not resolved through us and it goes off to adjudication with QCAT then again that evidence has to be brought forward and an adjudicator at QCAT will then make a determination on mm. you know what is damage and what is repairs. So it really depends on the circumstances. Each case is very yeah. different so it's a case-by-case -case basis. In terms of the maintenance disputes that you get there's also a dovetailing there with the um, body corporate's own responsibilities as it relates to perhaps common property and common property can also include exclusive use areas so you may have in fact competing responsibilities that the landlord then needs to put forward potentially in an RTA dispute um, it could be because I suppose some of the areas that we are seeing disputes and also inquiries in our call centre are when there's delays or there's no communication happening about what repairs are actually happening. And I think, again, that communication is really vital to make sure that the lot owner, the body corporate and the tenant are all singing on the same page, that they all know what's actually happening. And the disputes that we sometimes see is when that breakdown does happen in that communication. What about when it impacts on common property, which the body corporate is responsible for? What happens when a tenant does something to impact on that? So in our legislation, the tenant is um, obviously not to cause damage to the rental property um, and the tenant has the responsibilities to return the property in the same condition it was at the start of the tenancy, less fair wear and tear. If there is damage caused by the tenant, then the owner or the manager is in a position obviously to communicate and try and see if the tenant will fix that damage. If they don't fix it, they're in a position at the end of the tenancy to take that money from the rental bond and do a claim if there is damage. If it is above the bond amount, um, again, they come, can come through our free dispute resolution service um, and seek a notice of unresolved dispute to proceed through to the tribunal. The owner or the manager are the only ones that can actually make a claim on the tenant bond, so the body corporate or the committee cannot do that. Um, they don't have that jurisdiction to um, come into the RTA from that point of view. So I guess it's really crucial for good communication and evidence at the end of the tenancy if there is any damage that needs to be rectified and making sure that you know people have that right of say to say, well, it was him, wasn't him, or, or what needs to happen. Um, alternative, look, body corporates or owners may need to seek their own independent legal advice and maybe pursue this as a civil matter outside, you know, particularly if it's not to deal with the tenancy with the bond. Yeah, and I can foreshadow instances where perhaps a tenant has gone through a boom gate or they've damaged a pool or some other garden area or facility, maybe a gym, piece of gym equipment. All of those matters would fall under common property or a body corporate asset. So the body corporate might perhaps make an insurance claim that uh, it needs to uh, then claim the excess from the lessor. And perhaps that's what comes out of the bond, but it's a timing issue, of course. And you're right there, Mark. It may be a timing issue, and that's why I said it's really crucial with that 
communication, you know, particularly if there is a vacate at the end of the tenancy to know that. And I suppose if the lot owner has been charged the excess or whatever that has come out of that claim, then that may be something that they are looking to seek as compensation from the tenant. But again, we go back to that real good communication and trying to resolve those matters and, and have everybody that's involved be talking to each other. What's the difference between the issues that are suitable for dispute resolution then and those that concern the investigations area? The RTA's got investigation arm, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So our dispute resolution service is looking at more about the breaches of the tenancy agreement. So it may be not paying rent or those bond disputes, um, about repairs and maintenance not getting done. So that's that side of it. Our investigations team is looking at the penalty provisions of our legislation. And as you look through our legislation, sometimes you see on the bottom of a section it says maximum penalty units, 10, 20 or 40. So our investigation team does proactive compliance so they're looking at some histories and things like that and going out maybe and seeing various areas across Queensland but they're also looking at um, receiving those investigation requests and with those requests last financial year we received over 2,000 requests across Queensland and what we're looking to do is each case is done on its own merit so it's a case-by-case basis the options that come out of our investigations area is we can educate the parties to make sure that they know what their responsibilities are moving forward. Uh, we can issue a warning letter. We could issue a penalty infringement notice. So that penalty infringement notice is a bit like a speeding fine, I guess. Right. So it's a smaller percentage. Um, or we could do a full prosecution. And that prosecution doesn't go to QCAT. That prosecution goes to the magistrate's court. So that's when there's a legal representation possibly required. The RTA does take compliance quite seriously and you know, wanting to make sure that everyone that's involved in the tenancy world, that they do comply with the laws. So bringing it back to body corporate now, what kind of common compliance issues do you find that the investigations arm is actually working on? Sure, look, the RTA does look at um, the non-lodgement of rental bonds or the late lodgement of bonds. They're also looking at unlawful entry. So when someone has not followed the rules of entry, Unlawful special terms in a tenancy agreement, writing something that is contracting outside our legislation and not providing all the relevant paperwork at the start of the tenancy. So the written tenancy agreement, the entry condition report, the information statement, all those are required documentations and they all have penalty provisions attached um, by not providing those. Yeah, so taking a step back on some of the things you mentioned there, so unlawful entry and of course entry in body corporate world is allowed because you can give a seven day notice or if it's an urgent matter you can just enter Mm -hmm. and that might be the caretaker or an authorised person. How do you reconcile that against the entry provisions in the RTA then? So the legislation outlines the rules of entry so um, for the property owner or the manager or to enter the property and we have provisions in our legislation that talks about you know issuing the form 9 which is an entry notice informing the tenant that there's an entry about to occur so if it's for like repairs and maintenance from the tenancy side of you it's a minimum of 24 hours notice to be given if the manager wants to do a routine inspection it'll be seven days so there are some rules in relation to the um, entering a rental property obviously to that if the tenant agrees for the entry to occur then they just agree so there's no requirement then to give that um, notification as such. We also do have in our legislation an emergency situation so if it is an emergency there's um, the properties at risk or health and safety risks um, and it is emergency to actually enter to um, protect the property then the manager can or the owner can actually just enter without giving the formal notice. The Form 9 is there to actually provide the tenant with information and that information is about who serves the notice, um, who is coming into the property, for what reason they're coming into the property and when they're actually going to, um, what day and time they're arriving. So there's some parallels between body corporate legislation and the RTA legislation. I guess from an occupier's perspective you really need to know, okay, well what's the entry for and from what source of legislation is it coming from? Because that then informs on the time frames, perhaps. Yes, it could. And mm. as I said, like with the bylaws and the body corporate rules, they're obviously going to be falling part of the tenancy agreement. 
and again, it's just that really good communication. You know, most people don't really have a problem if they're just notified in advance and what the reason is that they're actually entering. Mm. And then you talked about um, non-lodgement of rental bonds there. I suspect that uh, given that um, on-site managers are acting on behalf of their lessors, that might touch on them too. Absolutely. So there is a time frame for um, when a person like a landlord or the property manager or the on-site manager receives that bond that they need to lodge that with the RTA. And we have the correct process in relation to our Form 2 lodgement form that needs to be completed and sent to the RTA with the appropriate funds. So the legislation outlines um, the time frame for lodging a bond. Mm. So if a bond is taken, and keep in mind it's not compulsory to take a bond across Queensland, but if you do take a bond, then you need to lodge it with the RTA. Mm. And we hold it till the end of the tenancy. The RTA currently holds about 607,000 bonds across Queensland. Mm. And um, so it's really important that the manager or the on-site manager or the landlord who takes that bond they do lodge it in the RTA within that required time frame. It's really important for particularly caretaker on-site managers to comply with those time frames. Absolutely. Failure to non-lodge the bond or late lodgement can actually lead to all those other items that I've talked about before about the education or a warning or a penalty infringement notice or even a prosecution. And prosecutions obviously are a last resort for the RTA. Look, I'm not actually from the investigation world, but it's done on, on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to, it's not necessarily a step, I will educate you first and then we'll do these other things. It really comes down to the individual case and the investigator can make that decision in relation to what process needs to happen, what enforcement process needs to actually occur for this particular case. Okay, so depending on how extreme the the breach is, it might trigger prosecution? Look, it may. Um, It could also, um, again, it could be that if there's like a pattern that we're aware of, that particular manager um, not lodging bonds previously or late lodging, then, you know, they've maybe been issued with a warning or penalty infringement beforehand. And then, yes, it may go off to prosecution. Or it could be that like, it's serious enough or may not be serious enough, but the investigator feels that it's in the best interest for the RTA and the rental world that you know further action is actually taken. So looking at um, body corporates and the types of complaints that come through to the RTA, you've touched on maintenance. What other types of complaints do you find relate to body corporate uh, and the RTA complaints section? A lot of the issues, because you're dealing with people being close proximity to each other, some of the issues come through is about noise, loud music. Um, Our legislation has it that the tenant's not to interfere with the reasonable peace, comfort and privacy of a neighbour. And also too that the landlord has responsibilities here as well to make sure that they take reasonable steps for the tenant to have quiet enjoyment of the property. Repairs and maintenance, I think we've touched on that quite a few times already, but that is one of the issues that is coming through a fair bit through our call centre and also in our dispute resolution. So again, really good communication and making sure that those repairs are done in a timely manner as such. Mm. The unapproved pet. Our legislation states that you know the lessor um, will be giving the permission whether the pet's allowed or not, and it should be on the tenancy agreement. Obviously, they, the owner or the tenant might need to go be getting permission from the body corporate, depending on what the bylaws might state. But we would recommend that if permission is given for a pet and you're writing that on your tenancy agreement, to actually state what type of pet is actually allowed. So not just putting one dog or one small dog, it might actually be putting like the type, the breed and the size and, and even the name of the dog, yeah. um, just so that we can have an idea of what um, has been allowed. The issue Um, of pets is interesting because often a body corporate manager will have a pet register or there'll be a pet application form of its own so it needs to be cleared with the body corporate and then the lessor obviously needs to assess the application at first instance to make sure they're comfortable with a pet but of course we know in Queensland pets can't be excluded from a body corporate there's uh, enough 
decisions out there that say any bylaw that uh, says you can't have a pet is going to be invalid. So it's an interesting dichotomy there. On the one hand, you've got uh, the body corporate world that says you can have a pet, but the body corporate can regulate it. And on the other hand, you've got tenancy laws that say, well, the lessor's got to say in this, they can say no to a pet. Correct. So do you get that uh, conflict in dispute resolution much at uh, someone perhaps saying, no, but the body corporate must allow pets, so therefore why is the lessor not allowing it? I suppose a lot of that process happens before that tenancy will actually commence. So it's sort of like happening as part of that selection process and that um, pre-applications or that application process which is not really covered with the RTA. Where it comes into is where if the landlord has said no to a pet and the tenant has a pet on the property then they're obviously in breach of their tenancy agreement as such and then the owner is in a position to issue the breach process and go down that path. Um, Again with all the disputes that we receive we're saying look just communicate, try and negotiate and, and sort the matters out as a self part as part of self resolution. But again, if the matter needs to come through a dispute resolution process, still not resolved and it goes off to the tribunal, then an adjudicator will obviously make a decision then. And I can imagine a situation where maybe one pet's allowed and the owner finds out that the tenant's introduced a second pet, but the body corporate has allowed it. So you get this conflict there again post commencement of tenancy. Yes, and I suppose it comes back down to, again, the original application process and Mm. what has actually been allowed. As I said, under our tenancy law, it has to the lessor to actually make that decision whether a pet's allowed or not. And they can be very emotive, emotional parties are concerned with, and pets are almost part of family member almost. That's right, and there's a lot more people obviously having pets across Queensland now, and as I said, I can't make a comment on body corporate laws um, in relation to that side of it but again it comes back down to that application process and tenants saying well this is the type of pet I have. What we are seeing trends in is when people are applying for property they're doing up like a little pet resume um, as part of their tenancy application process so they're putting like a little photo, they're putting description about the dog or the cat or the budgie or the snake or whatever's required or whatever's um, the the pet is and so they're doing that as part of their tenancy application with the real estate agents and the on-site managers. And I suspect a lot of agents have a pretty well-defined pet application form and process. Again comes down to because the RTA doesn't govern the application process as such but it comes down to what is the lessor's instructions to that manager. Going back to entry what happens when a tenant refuses entry? We have heard that from time to time that um, you know the correct notices have been issued and the legislation does allow that if the notice has been served correctly and the timeframes apply and the landlord or the um, agent is actually following those rules then they are entitled to enter. Mm. However, there might be a reasonable excuse from the tenant for that entry not to occur. Mm. And that reasonable excuse might be, look, they might actually have a family member at home sick they actually might be even a shift worker so they just need to look at taking on some responsibility between the two parties to try and negotiate and communicate again and maybe um, re-organise another date or time. And that's interesting because in body corporate then if the body corporate needs to enter it needs to act reasonably so it comes down to looking at the factors in that case what is objectively reasonable to communicate an alternative to entry. There is a part too that we have, as I said, about the emergency part, so that like if the property is at risk and, you know, there's water damage or or storm damage or something like that, and someone does need to urgently enter, then they're entitled to do so. So, Lynn, let's look at um, the issue of bylaws, because some of them can be really quite extensive. And from the RTA's perspective, if they form part of the tenancy agreement, that's a whole new set of rules that you need to be aware of. How do they work in together with the tenancy agreement then? Well, the body corporate bylaws will form part of the tenancy agreement and they become that part um, under our legislation where it allows that, you know, if there is body corporate bylaws and the tenant needs to be given a copy of those bylaws and that forms part of that tenancy agreement. So it's really important that all those normal terms of the tenancy agreement is complied with and also to those bylaws. So if someone does breach the bylaw, then they can go down that uh, remedy breach process, that Form 11. 
Right. And what happens when the lessor's agent doesn't give them a copy of the bylaws? It creates a, a whole different set of problems at dispute resolution, I suspect. Um, it can do, and this is where we really encourage like the lot owner, who then becomes the lessor or the, the property owner as such, to actually ensure that when they're engaging, a whether it's the on-site manager or the real estate agent or any other manager, that they are given a, the correct body corporate bylaws so that they then can make sure that the tenant, each time that the tenants change over, that they have a, the correct bylaws that pertain to that building complex. Yeah, and that's an important point there because of course bylaws can change. The body corporate can at any point decide, well, we're going to change bylaw number three and we're going to allow the certain conduct to occur and somehow that change needs to be communicated to a tenant they're not always getting the body corporate minutes of meetings or they're not getting all that documentation so where does the responsibility lie on the lessor um it should probably go with the property owner and and obviously their relationship with the property manager so that if there's anything that does actually change as part of those bylaws then they should actually be informing the tenant because it's really important that the tenant knows, particularly if all of a sudden there's some certain rules about the use of some common areas, it's all of a sudden that's changed, mm. then the tenant needs to be informed so that they don't do the wrong thing. Right, so really a, a tip for on-site managers is ensure that your tenants in your letting pool and indeed any tenant in that complex is appraised of any changes that happen to the bylaws because it's important, it forms part of their tenancy agreement, they need to know. Yes, and it, it would be recommended just to make sure that everybody is aware of their responsibilities. And as, we, as we've discussed, those bylaws do become part of that tenancy agreement. So if there's any amendments there, then obviously the tenant does need to be informed. Mm. We've talked about breaches and the investigation arm of the RTA. We've also talked about notices to remedy breach and when someone does something wrong, whether it's the landlord that hasn't maintained or the tenant that's damaged, there's always going to be a, a breach process but there's also a parallel process in the body corporate legislation for contravention notices. You've got future contravention notices that uh, can uh, obviously manage future conduct and then we've got the the typical contravention notice that will, which will manage an immediate issue. How do you find that particular process within the RTA dispute resolution section? Okay, with contravention notices, because that's actually under the body corporate laws as such, we would say that, that we would refer that to the body corporate commissioner's office um, in relation to any disputes and, uh, that belongs to those contravention notices. The RTA cannot deal with those contravention notices. What we can deal with if it's a breach of the tenancy agreement on the breach of those bylaws. And that only can happen between the landlord or the um, property manager and the tenant. I suspect that if there's been a contravention notice issued, that might form part of the evidence perhaps, or as background information for the dispute resolution process as well. It could be. So if um, the body corporate has issued a contravention notice and informed the, um, the owner of the property or the manager, then the, they may actually still continue to issue that breach notice. Um, and if it's not resolved, they could still come through the RTA um, purely from the tenancy side of things. Obviously, if it's on the contravention notice alone, we would again refer back to the Commissioner's Office for advice in relation to the process to follow for that. Right, so it's technically possible then for a particular matter that has multifaceted aspects to run in both jurisdictions at the same time. Yes, it could. As I said, from the tenancy point of view, it could be still running through with the Form 11 and through the RTA's free dispute resolution process. And again, then the body corporate may also be doing their own further action. So the body corporate uh, commissioner's office may be handling a conciliation application or an adjudication application, whilst there's still perhaps a bond dispute or a, a maintenance issue that the occupier is dealing with um, through the dispute resolution section. Yes it could and it could also be that the tenant might have breached those bylaws like I said noise issues and mm. or pets or parties and mm. things like that um, and so it may actually still be coming through our process as well. Mm. I guess the RTA is not always going to be privy to a parallel body corporate uh, dispute resolution process either. 
Not necessarily, no. So this comes down to that information that the um, the lot owner, who is obviously the lessor or the landlord, um, and communicating that with the property manager. Of course, we've touched on that and the issue of noise, which I guess embody corporate land, is called nuisance under Section 167 of the Act. So you've got these parallel concepts that run from body corporate to residential tenancies laws. To what extent does the RTA handle these cross-jurisdictional matters? with dispute resolution process. As I said, with the tenancy laws, we can only deal with the property owner or the landlord, the property manager who's acting on behalf of the landlord and the tenant. We can only deal with matters that relate to the tenancy agreement as such. So um, outside that, then the RTA would not be involved. Um, So with our RTA's free dispute resolution service, we can only deal with what has actually occurred within that tenancy. Right, so in a multifaceted dispute and you get that at first instance through the dispute resolution process, I'm guessing a case manager might assess whether it's suitable first, pass it on to a conciliator, but conciliator may assess that, well, these are the things we can handle, but those things, ABC, has to go to the body corporate commissioner's office because that's outside of jurisdiction. Yeah, so we can only, as I said, we can only handle what we can handle as outlined in the legislation. Um, and, you know, again, it comes down to a lot of education for the um, the property owners and the property managers under, um, out there to actually know what each party can actually do or can, and cannot do. So the RTA can only deal with those tenancy matters and have some knowledge in relation to obviously what the Body Corporate Commissioner's Office can assist in relation to those Body Corporate matters. Okay, so a tip for an owner or an occupier as to deciding, okay, well, I have a dispute here. Where is it going to go? Is it going to go to the RTA or is it going to go to the Commissioner's Office? What would you recommend them to do in that situation? In making that decision, where do I make this dispute application? Okay, so one of the very main um, messages that I've always done is to make sure that everybody knows their rights and responsibilities. So no matter where you sit in the um, in the rental world or in the body corporate world is to know those rights and responsibilities. Our website has a lot of information in relation to what processes are available um, and also know to the body corporate commissioner's office also does have information as well. So a little bit of education going out there and actually researching and going, where do I need to actually sit with this? Mm. And keeping in mind that we can, the RTA can only deal with those um, tenancy related matters as such. Mm. So, and we'll only deal with people in the tenancy. So unfortunately the RTA cannot deal with the body corporate, the body corporate committee, the body corporate managers or strata managers we won't deal with them directly. They will actually need to be dealing through the Body Corporate Commissioner's Office. In terms of the finding of that information, the RTA website's got a lot of information on what it can take at dispute resolution and more generally about um, rights and obligations of parties, doesn't it? Correct. We have a lot of information on our website, so that's rta.qld.gov.au. We have all our forms, all our publications. We have print-friendly fact sheets. We have videos. We have the webinar recordings as well. So there's a lot of information that's available out there for the renting sector. As I said, our mission is to make sure that renting works for everyone across Queensland. If people need some more information, they can give us a call on 1300 366 we want to help people. We don't want them to sit in silence and not know what to do. Mm. So it's best to do some research, look on our website, try and find some of that information that might help your situation. And if you can't, give us a call because we really do want to help people involved in the rental sector. Right. And if landlord or occupier is so minded to call, they're not sure whether the RTA will take the matter on. The RTA can perhaps guide them to the correct jurisdiction at that point. Correct. So the RTA is there to provide tenancy information. We're not there to give legal advice or an advocacy service. So once we try and get as much information as we can, and we do have lists of referral organisations, so the Body Corporate Commissioner's Office is one of those referrals. So if it comes down to that it's a lot more body corporate than what it would be with the tenancy side, then we can actually give that information. So in terms of the laws that govern units across Queensland or or any rentals for that matter, and they might be body corporate or non-body corporate, those laws are under review at the moment, aren't they? 
Yes, so the Residential Tenancies and Roomy Accommodation Act is under review. So as part of the government's 10-year housing strategies, the tenancy laws are under review and the Department of Housing and Public Works is partnering with the RTA for what we call have the Open Doors Renting Reform. So it's resulting in the consultation for um, Queensland process. So last year um, there was a nine-week consultation process that was done around the state and out of that the uh, responses was we received over 130,000 responses. Um, that was with online polls, surveys. I think there's like 450 written submissions, and we, you know, there's a lot of attendance at stall events across the whole of Queensland at various locations. So we are anticipating that all that data will be collated, which is now. So to keep in touch with and know that, we'd recommend people sign up for their RTA news um, room articles um, and go to our website for that because we want to know, once we know more developments, we then can release that to the sector and make sure that the renting sector is aware of what those changes will or won't be. And that's great. We'll have that link uh, to the RTA newsroom on the website there as well. So based on your experience, if you could share one key message to lot owners or landlords out there to help bring the sector to a better level of education about RTA laws, what would it be? Um, I can never stick to one message, Mark. Um, So it would have to be multiple messages. I'm sorry. Um, But look, realistically, know what your rights and responsibilities are, but also know what the other person's rights and responsibilities are too under the tenancy law. It's really important that, you know, you at least know the basics and know where to get information if you need more information. Mm. But my second one has always been, you really got to communicate. And like, to resolve a lot of the disputes. If you can communicate, respectfully talk to each other, share the information and be open to what's going on and try and negotiate and try and resolve the matters. It just makes the whole rental world a lot better. So people can, if they can communicate, it just will solve a lot of issues out there. Mm. And keep in mind too that the RTA is here to help everyone so that we don't want people to sit in silence, that they need assistance to give us a call or go to our website and get that information. No, that's great. And just for the listeners there, if you want to go through some of the contact, the key contact details for the RTA as an end to this um, might be very helpful and we'll have that on the website as well. Great. Our friendly staff in our call centre is available on 1300 366 311 and our website, as I said, a wealth of information on our website with everything that's available and that's rta.qld.gov.au. It's been a great pleasure, Lynn. Uh, You've shed a lot of light on some of the RTA matters that touch on body corporate and it's important because there's so many units up and they're rentals so they form part of a, a big tenancy pool there. Thanks again, Lynn, and uh, we look forward to having you on board uh, again sometime soon. Thanks, Mark. It's been a pleasure. That's it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Let's Talk Strata podcast. For your fortnightly dose of Strata insights, stimulating discussion with leading Strata professionals, and to catch up on previous episodes, subscribe to the podcast through letstalkstrata.com.au.